Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Dan Whalen, cookbook author of Nachos for Dinner and blogger at thefoodinmybeard.com. We're only one month into 2022, and I'm already looking to lighten the mood and have some fun. And this is the cookbook if you want to have some fun. I mean, what's more fun than nachos? It's a one-pan meal. You can eat them with your hands, and no one can resist nachos. What makes nachos for dinner different from nachos as an appetizer or a snack? Well, I tried to balance the nachos. I think balance is the key word so that you're not kind of having this overindulgent pile of lots of cheese. (laughs) What's wrong with an overindulgent (laughs) pile of cheese? Well, that's fantastic as an appetizer, (laughs) but if you want to eat a full meal of it and still feel like you can do something afterwards... (laughs) Uh, I tried to bring forward more vegetables, uh, more of the proteins, and just overall balance the plate of nachos. Nachos are great because they're a blueprint, as you say, and you need a good foundation. What kind of a tray should we be using? So for me, it's always a sheet pan. And what's happening there is you have one layer of chips. So you don't end up with that plate of nachos where there's a bunch of what we call naked chips on the on the bottom of the plate. Okay, so what I think is the most important element of nachos, and I'm sure it's debatable, but I think it's the chip. I'm glad that you're pointing out the importance of the chip because it really was like a journey for me to (laughs) try all the chips and focus on what was best. And I think even now when I'm going to the chip aisle, I spent so much time in there looking at all the chips. The whole aisle has been dominated by what they call restaurant style chips, which are like the huge chips. And most of the bag is broken. And what I'm looking for is when I look into the bag of chips to make sure that you see like full size chips. So I'm looking for more triangular and I'm always looking for the sturdiness of the chip. And there's a few brands now that do basically the equivalent of homemade chips. And when you use those, they stay really, really crunchy underneath and they hold a lot of toppings. But if you use some of these more trendy chips that are very thin, you know, you're never going to find the true nacho success. I swear, I think the stock people punch the bags of chips when they put them on the shelf. (laughs) It's true. I mean, I literally saw it this morning. I was swinging to the grocery store to grab a few things for later. And of course, I was spending way too much time in the chip aisle. And the guy was standing there, like sort of judging up the bags like you would a pillow on your couch after you sat down. (laughs) And I think he was trying to like make it seem like there wasn't as many broken chips. So you just said your favorite chip is a triangular chip. So what's wrong with the round one? Nothing's necessarily wrong with the round one, but a lot of times I think they're too small. And especially if you're looking for that perfect thin layer on a sheet pan, it's harder to layer them where there's like a lot of surface area of every chip, if that makes sense. Tell me about your nacho journey. Nachos were the first thing I ever really learned how to make myself. As a kid, I would come home from school and put some chips on a regular plate, throw some cheese on there and put them in the microwave. But besides that, I mean, I've been making nachos my whole life. I absolutely have been obsessed. And, uh, you know, from going into the basement with my friends when I was in high school, you know, making a big sheet tray of nachos for everyone to... um, just exploring the idea of what truly is nachos on my website. 
uh, it's just been, like you said, a journey. And it's super exciting to finally have this book out to explain how the journey has been so far. So let's go through your five secrets of nacho success. And that's on page two for everyone Mm -hmm. who has the cookbook. Mm -hmm. So the first one is take an extra minute to move all the chips around the pan. You just want to make sure that it's like a nice even layer. And I kind of just nudge a few so that everyone has at least like 50% of the surface area exposed to get all the cheese and the good toppings. Uh, Number two is sprinkle half of the cheese first, then the toppings, then the remaining cheese. Right. So the first part of cheese is actually like a barrier to help the chips stay crispy. If you're stuck, like in your store, you only have the more sort of industrial chips. Another step you can do is kind of broil them for a second before you put any toppings on and that'll help them stay crispy. But if you're using a really good quality chip, you you can skip that step. And the cheese just helps like any of the juicier toppings not trickle down onto the chips to, uh, to make them soggy. Now, what do you mean by an industrial chip? Do you mean like Tostitos? So I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but most chips, they start their journey as chips. So like you would take the masa dough, make chips, and then directly fry them. But a good chip, a true chip, and a homemade chip would be a tortilla first, right? You know, the first chips that were ever made were just someone deep frying a tortilla that was like on the verge of being stale. So if you make homemade chips, you buy the corn tortillas and you fry them and they're super crispy um, and they stay very crispy. And there's a few brands that actually make tortillas and then cut them and fry them. And those are the the true best chips. But the more common industrial chips like Tostitos and so many other brands is just the dough that has been turned into a chip first and then fried. They skip that middle step. So should we be looking at the ingredients on the back of the chip? I think the ingredients is a good way to to help, but also just trying the different brands and and seeing what's what. And many of these industrial chips that skip that step can still be really crunchy and still be really delicious, of course. Uh, But it's just, I'm so deep in the the chip game (laughs) that I start to (laughs) notice like the nuances of all the different ones. And if you are looking for brands, Mi Nina, in my opinion, is the the best. And I know for a fact that they start with tortillas and then fry them. And uh, and now that I'm in the Midwest, I, I don't find that one that much. That one I found more often in New England. And the one I can find here sometimes is called Donkey, but it's kind of a rare find. And I have to dig deep through the, the chip aisle to get to it. So uh, the third secret of your nacho success is cut everything into small, equal size pieces. Yeah, this way you can really get an even spread and get like, say you're making a a nacho with three or four toppings. If you cut them too big, uh, you'll only get like one topping on each chip. But this way, if it's nice and small, you you get uh, even topping coverage on all the chips. Number four is spread out the toppings. Right. So obviously, like you, like I was saying, you want everything on every chip, but you know, you don't have to be that meticulous, but if you even just take an extra minute or so on this step to really spread them out. And I make this joke a lot, but I am actually serious when I say it is I sometimes just like squint my eyes a little bit and you can really see based on the colors of the toppings that the toppings are like evenly spread out, almost like a, an abstract painting. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. I've never heard anyone say that, but that's that's a really good t- tip. Um, I'm glad that I finally got the reaction because most people just say, okay. Number five, to dip or to top. Now, what does that mean? So 
you know, when you get a lot of nachos at like, say a sports bar, you would get them and like, they just throw the salsa and sour cream, like in the top on the center. Right. And so that's sort of always the question for me. Like when I'm in my blogging mindset and I'm trying to take nice photos, I'll take like all the toppings and spread them out over the chips, like the cold toppings I'm talking about salsa or pickled vegetables or whatever else. But the problem with that method is that if it sits too long, it may get soggy. But for me, and also like the blogging mindset, but also just like the cook mindset where I want everyone to have the nachos, like the way that I want them to experience it. So I'll put the cold toppings on and like spread them out all nice and evenly, but it may be better to put all those cold toppings on the side and let people kind of like do their own nacho adventure uh, instead of me trying to like force them to have the different cold toppings and also to allow the chips to get soggy. So let me also add that since you started your blog, The Food in My Beard, in 2008, you've been all about cultural appreciation and not appropriation when it comes to recipes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought it up because, you know, there always will be a question of like, who can write certain recipes, right? And as a white guy who has been cooking for a long time, I love exploring different cultures and regions of recipes, but you have to make sure that you're doing it in a good way. And so many bloggers out there are just looking for SEO and clicks and they post their different recipes and they kind of separate it from like where it's from and what it is. It's very important to me that People can try different recipes and explore different cultures, right? But if I was writing a a nacho book where I was trying to like pretend that I had cultural knowledge of like the history of carnitas and that I could do it because like my grandmother taught it to me, then that would be not okay. But as someone who's trying to appreciate these different cultures and explore the flavors, it's just important to me to, to shine a light back on where they came from and make sure that I'm doing it right. Or if I'm doing a, a twist on it, make sure it's clear that this is a twist and it's like a fun flavor twist. It's absolutely not in any intention to be authentic. So let's start with the classic nacho. What is your version of the classic? I know different people have different versions, and I'd love to hear yours. Well, the original nacho was actually created by Ignacio Ayana in um, PHS Negras, Mexico, which is a border town. And his original version was just the chips with cheese and jalapenos. That's like the true basic of nachos. I think if you take the jalapenos off, you know, you technically still have nachos. But for me, it's all about, you know, the chips, obviously, some sort of cheese-like thing. It doesn't necessarily need to be cheese. And then whatever toppings you want to put on. I also love salsa. And you say anything can be salsified. What does that mean? Well, I worked at a burrito shop actually for a couple of years. And I was sort of in charge of, of menus there. And one of my favorite things I did was create a monthly seasonal salsa where I just took whatever fruit or vegetable or whatever else that I was feeling that felt like in season at the time and make a new salsa with it. I have like a chart in here, as well as several of those recipes from that burrito shop, where as long as you basically take like a certain percentage of onions and citrus juice and garlic and an herb, you can put sort of like whatever main ingredient that you want in there and and turn it into a salsa. 
there are so many interesting versions of nachos in this book. You have French onion nachos, buffalo chicken nachos, Cobb salad nachos, fish taco nachos, banh mi nachos, and over the weekend I made your caprese nachos on page 76. Can you describe these? Sure. It's, you know, it's similar to any of like tomato mozzarella salad, right? But on nachos instead. And I just cut up the tomatoes and spread them out on the, the chips. And based on the process, like I broil every nacho in here. So it's a very quick cooking. So I felt like it didn't really cook the tomatoes that much and take away uh, that bright, fresh tomatoey flavor that you love in the caprese salad. Also topped with basil, of course, because um, that's very important to that salad. I also made the Italian sub nachos on page 102. Can you talk a little bit about these? And uh, by yeah. the way, I love mortadella. Oh, man. I I made a mortadella cheesesteak the other day and it was so good. And I just have, I, I, whenever I buy it, I buy like way extra so I can just keep continually eating it whenever, <laughs> every time I open the fridge. But yeah, that's also one of my absolute favorites uh, in the book. It's just the chips first. And then I use like an Italian cheese blend and um, put a lot of the, my favorite meats from a Italian sandwich, like mortadella and salami. A lot of people would say prosciutto, but I think it's like too chewy for this particular application. Uh, so then you put more cheese on top and broil them. And then afterwards, which is also the most important part of a, an Italian sandwich is that sort of like lettuce and uh, like almost like a fresh salad on top, right? With some balsamic vinegar. So I cover the whole chips with that and some pepperoncini peppers. So what would you say is the craziest recipe in this cookbook? You could say a lot of the things that don't use chips are the craziest, right? So like when you start doing like, say, chicken and waffle nachos, and it's like the chicken and the waffles are the chips, right? You could go in that direction. Uh, but I actually think there's a Thai larb nacho recipe. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's like the chopped chicken salad that um, is popular in Thai cooking. And so it's actually like a cold nacho. So I made the Thai chicken salad mixture and spread it over the chips. And then I top it with like a coconut cream, basically, instead of uh, instead of sour cream. And I was really unsure about it, but it worked so well. And I had it for the first time, like in the middle of the summer on a hot day. And it was just like a fantastic plate of nachos. And I think it really, really stretches the definition of what could be nachos, in my opinion. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. So I've been thinking about this a lot because <laughs> I know you <laughs> asked this question. And it's so funny because for me with a dinner party, it's like, it's really all about the blending of different people. Thinking about one person is really hard, right? I guess I would say Adam Yauk from the Beastie Boys who passed away. No one has ever said that. I thought of like Anthony Bourdain. I also thought of like... Um, George Lucas or or even like Han Solo or something. But uh, that's why I decided Adam Yeo. So why Adam and not any of the other Beastie Boys? I read their uh, band biography recently. And I mean, I knew it already, but he like is the Beastie Boys. He kind of was the one who was like super creative and really pushing the others to just like be as weird and different as possible at all times. So where can we find you on the web and social media? 
I'm at TFIMB on most social media platforms, which is the initials of The Food in My Beard. And my website is thefoodinmybeard.com. I'm pretty active on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. To purchase nachos for dinner and support the podcast, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thanks, Dan, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. It's so much fun. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast cookery by the book.